Welcome back to the Ink Sync. I am Annie. Kaylee is not here with me just at the moment. You might have noticed that we have not released an episode in a while. That is because of some very serious technical issues, which means that today you are getting what I am calling a Frankenstein episode. That's right. You have heard about our cutting room floor before. Today you are going to see, you're going to hear... You're going to hear some things that ended up on the cutting room floor that we didn't get to show you before. So today's episode is all about book marketing. This is when we decided to talk about Brandon Sanderson. Going to hear a couple of news stories that we had to cut for time. We hope you enjoy. I try and start off our recordings with something funny and it took me a little bit this recording to find something quite funny. But I was I was just going through Instagram and saw some memes of some sharks attacking books <laughs> this week. And I was like, oh, is this like in reference to the banned books? No, in fact. <laughs> this was a, a, like a potential literal example of actual real world events. Real world events, yes. So this, this story came from Eater. There was a notification that went out within the past couple days saying about two specific cookbooks that their releases would be delayed because the the ship that was carrying these cookbooks in the shipping containers to, I believe it was San Francisco, the shipping containers just fell off the boat. It was like some sort of bridge incident. Like they nudged a bridge, hit a bridge. The bridge was lowering slowly or too quickly. There was an incident between some shipping containers and the wide world. And now they are just at the bottom of the ocean. Potentially being shark snacks. Potentially being shark snacks. But these these several containers contained every single copy of these two cookbooks. The international (laughs) shipping industry is having a time of it, honestly, in the last six months. I I mean, not even. It's like the past year, ever since the people started trying to do the recovery. And then the Ever Given blocked the Suez Canal for however that... How long was that there? It was like three or four days. It was was, an obnoxious amount of time. It was like, oh, it was a stupid amount of time for how much we all knew it was going to impact it. Like, I don't know why we couldn't just do... Like, fix it sooner. Like, oh. No, these... And apparently... So apparently these... These several shipping containers contained every single copy it of feels these like a targeted attack honestly <laughs> yes, like does. did somebody pray was there is, is there like like martha stewart's out there like she just made a sacrifice and it worked i don't what happened Dude. rachel green's out here like ooh, got him i <laughs> i i so i wrote a paper i wrote an essay on martha stewart a little while ago and uh i don't know if you know this but for a while there in like the late 90s early 2000s people used martha stewart as just a shorthand for all forms of femininity so i was doing a quick scholar search because that's like usually where i start my research for for articles and it seemed like every single scholarly topic had something about Martha Stewart as like a stand-in for either women or normality or American suburbia or television or, you know, human beings who are blonde. Like every single person, they were just using Martha Stewart as a shorthand for life. It was so weird. So on the one hand, that seems very frustrating for you trying to do a uh, yes, paper on yes. actual Martha Stewart. And on the other hand, I wonder how the uh, the conviction hit that it did no no they a lot of them were also about like insider trading and oh, then there were their funny. ones about like someone coming back from an insider trading scandal someone coming back from scandals in general and i'm just like they just 
they just kept writing about Martha Stewart. Like, they the academic they didn't community. didn't want to let it go. The academic community was just like, yeah, we like her. This is cool. <laughs> but this reminded me of it because there's one about Martha Stewart and I think it was, like, domesticity and the cult of, like, the home witch and how people just distrust human beings who their specialty is domesticity because it evokes, like, witches of the mid-century. The, the idea was tenuous, actually. But I was like, it's, of course, Martha Stewart's a witch. Why wouldn't she be? <laughs> well, we were talking, I feel like we talked about this either, maybe not on episode or just in general, but the idea of, like, witchcraft and, like, the trappings of witchcraft, the hat and, like, the cauldron and the broom or whatever, all of that was actually originally kind of came up for brewers, like women that they had the time, they had access to, to the home to, to brew beer and booze. And, and so they Potions, would have, yeah, their were, hats, yeah. their their brooms. It was like a sign of, oh, like, was that like a real thing? People those to, those yeah. hats were for, yeah. for like to stand out brewers? so people That's would know. cool. And I so, didn't know that. No, we must have not been talking about it or oh, it must have been a while ago. Mm, well, it's interesting. It's, um, so it's just such an interesting like idea and that's part of the reason that they kind of became associated with women that had power and you know yeah. you know people don't like women and by people i mean men in power don't like women in power and they and especially so don't it, like women in like encroaching on their beer space so <laughs> just an interesting like side note for that's this. a good point yeah anyway so the <laughs> the releases of those two cookbooks i'm gonna say their names because uh if anyone is they're fun writing. also they look like they were actually like one of them <laughs> yeah. especially looked like su- like actually they both looked really cool to be honest but like the one from new orleans like i'm in yeah yeah it was uh new orleans-based chef mason hereford wrote turkey and the wolf flavor trippin in new orleans and new york times food writer melissa clark's dinner for one or sorry dinner dinner in one exceptional and easy one pan meals both of those at the bottom of the ocean um they will be (laughs) yeah the authors marine life will be very well fed the authors were very gamely about it they all they both posted memes on instagram of just what can you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what can you do if you're like, hello, I'm New York Times food writer Melissa Clark, and I'm about to go diving for my book. Like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna, exactly, what can you do at that point? You got it out. Okay, great. Yeah, so they're both delayed. Hereford's book was originally set to be released next month, and they're just pushing that back to June. And Clark's was supposed to release in March and will now be pushed back to September. Um, and then, of course, Eater had many, 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 many puns about uh, oh, yeah. shipping and books and drowning. You can check that one out i think you can just uh just search for your book is at the bottom of the atlantic ocean and you will find this story <laughs> and you can also see the uh the uh posts that annie was referencing yeah the meme posts, where they, yeah, they added these the... are not the best memes i will say but there are cute. other there are other better memes about this but you know they're doing their best yeah. they're authors they're, they're not authors they're, like they genuinely it's just them being funny yeah right like, they like, just responded charmingly they're... to a pretty shitty situation yeah so. yeah they did great sorry Sorry to those guys. Uh, I'm sure your cookbooks would have been great. We will, Kaylee and I will keep an eye out. And when those books come out, we will consider buying them. Yes. Babe, wake up. New words just dropped. Am I right? So excited. First of all, am I right? Did not realize was not in the dictionary yet. Merriam-Webster added, I believe, 455 new words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those lexicographers, they, they don't God sleep. Bless them. I mean, Ooh. language is living, guys. And if you stop recording it, you know, the fuss buckets win. Don't let them. <laughs> your, your first grade English teacher wins if you right. stop combining words and making new words and using acronym. It's, it's what Shakespeare would have wanted. Oh, Willie. He would be so proud of us. Look, the man invented the word elbow, fam. Like, we didn't know. What did you... The bendy bit. That's what we used to call it. That's what Shakespeare would have wanted. Yes, I'm happy. What was your favorite? 
Oh god, I liked the updated definition of because, honestly. Yes, I remember that going into, I think, a different dictionary a couple years ago. So I feel like Barry Webster's actually behind on that one. But I appreciate that it's in there. I mean, it's so true. Like, yeah. that's how we use because now. Mm -hmm. Because science. Because mm -hmm. internet. Because podcasting. The next story that I wanted to talk to you about, so the, the American Booksellers Association released a statement talking about the changes to its policies. We've talked about this several mm -hmm. times, mm -hmm. about how they have tried to distance themselves from protecting speech that they disagree with and focus their, focus their efforts on protecting marginalized voices. And they released this quote, it fell directly in line with what we've been talking about. So Is it that they're a private organization and they don't have to defend uh, racism or hate speech, essentially? They're yeah. not required to. They're not obligated. Yeah. No, I appreciated that very much as yeah. far as their... Yeah. They said, the ABA is not a government entity. We are free to condemn hate speech as a matter of organizational policy. Having the First Amendment in our organizational language kept us in a circular, unproductive debate about whether that was true. Taking it out allowed us to move forward with our work as a board and clarified our mandate in support of free expression. I'm really glad that they put that into words because, again, the First Amendment is a protection of the government from the government. Mm -hmm. It is not about that. It is not about how everyone needs to let you say whatever you want and say. Yeah, like, someone else is allowed to say you're wrong. Someone else is allowed to say you're fired. And someone you else out is allowed to yeah. say you're an asshole. Uh -huh. And they are allowed to say that because yeah, they're, they're not the government. government. Yeah. Exactly. If you enjoyed that little treatise into our cutting room floor. Next up, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with our main topic for this Frankenstein episode, which is book marketing. We're going to hear all about our take on the Brandon Sanderson Kickstarter, Kickstarter in general, indie book marketing, traditional book marketing, our favorite insane ways that book marketers market books. It was a pretty fun episode to record. I hope you enjoy it. We will be right back. Welcome back. We are here talking about book marketing. Mm, I know this feels it doesn't feels like it feel like it should be saucy but like we're pretty sure it might be a little saucy. It is so saucy. I was not prepared for while I was researching this the hot spicy takes on the internet. I honestly kind of initially gathered them and then I was like, well, I'm very used to tuning out nerd rage. <laughs> so it's just gone. I, I know that's terrible. But like, guys, acknowledged and out. That's just how my brain works. We're too old to care about angry nerds anymore. It's accurate. <laughs> this it's is who we are. Deeply, unfortunately true. I have now, since I've shared that we have a podcast far and wide on social media, people are sending me things like, this might be cool for you to talk about on your podcast. And I appreciate mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. Please keep sending it to me. It's less work for me. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's also interesting, like, it's, if it's something that you want to hear about. Absolutely. So one of the main things over the past couple months has been Brandon Sanderson and his Kickstarter for his next four books. Had you heard about this? Yeah, I had seen like mm -hmm. in my newsfeed just because of publishing news research 
research in general. So Brandon Sanderson, and this was very smart. He set this up. He's like, I have a, a really big announcement. Things are changing for me. I'm going through some stuff. Kind of teasing that he was going to like stop writing for a bit. I want to be clear here. Brandon Sanderson is one of the best selling fantasy authors of all time. I think his The name last... of the wind or was it the Mistborn? Brandon Sanderson is the Mistborn. He also finished Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time that's series. Right. He was handpicked by Robert Jordan. Hmm, that's that's something that every single news article that talks about Brandon Sanderson points out that he was handpicked by yeah. Robert Jordan. And then go into a different font when you're reading the articles. Yeah, just for it's those super words. weird. <laughs> <laughs> what weird like reality am I stepping into? Anyway, so Brandon Sanderson, again, one of the best selling fantasy authors of all time handpicked by Robert Jordan to finish the Wheel of Time series. His average rating on Goodreads is 4.4, which is very, very is high very for good. an author. He has 254 distinct works. I'm just reading you some of his Goodreads stats. He has over 4 million ratings, 309,000 reviews. So this guy is a very, very well-established author. If you are not big into fantasy, you might not have read any of his stuff, but if you are into fantasy even slightly, you have definitely read his stuff. I think his last, I think, six-book deal with a tour was a about 15 20 million dollars because he just sells so many books even other big name fantasy authors will point to brandon sanderson as an extremely popular fantasy author and i am belaboring this point for reasons that will become clear oh yeah <laughs> so brandon sanderson posted a video on youtube and said i am publishing my next four books on kickstarter and if you buy these books at this level you will receive not only these four books, you will receive merch, some collector's edition stuff, some baubles. Um, I don't want to call them baubles, but they're kind of, they're tchotchkes. Yeah. And you will get this essentially Brandon Sanderson loot box plus these next four books. Mm -hmm. Only via Kickstarter, you will not get these through a, a traditional publisher. Mm -hmm. And he raised... How much, Kaylee? Oh, God, like 20, 23 million or something stupid. It like was initially almost 20. And then it yeah. was just like within the, the first couple weeks. Yeah. And then at the end, it was it was over 20 million. Yes. And that is the highest Kickstarter or highest Kickstarter pull in Kickstarter history. That is so much money. And the fans of the Internet lost their collective mind. Kaylee, so many people said this. And at first, I was like, this is some marketing gimmick. I don't really yeah. care. And then more people, and then more people were sending in takes being like, this is going to change the publishing industry if Brandon Sanderson doesn't need a publisher. This is incredible. Like, we will be able to see novels all over Kickstarter. What's the problem with that, Kaylee? There are already novels all over Kickstarter, yeah. perhaps? Oversaturation, honestly, which is the issue. And, and to be fair, I guess it's... No, it's just that's it. I mean, and also grumpy people. I'm being a little bit mean. I'm, I'm just poking fun at Brandon Sanderson because obviously he can take it. He just raised $20 million yeah, on he's, Kickstarter. He's fine. He's fine. He's got money to coat the burns. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not listening to our super niche publishing industry news podcast. And feeling bad money. that... That, <laughs> that also, we poked a little fun. Also, congrats, man. Like, yeah, you are. right. For real. Also, we're also probably going to be buying those books. So it's so, like, yeah, we're like, still also in the target demographic. So I do really want to quickly talk about these loot boxes. I'm calling them loot boxes. Brandon Sanderson has a staff 
to support that. Mm -hmm. So he is very easily able to promise these things on Kickstarter because he has the infrastructure to fulfill them. And also keep in mind that he was fully capable of doing this because of the success that he established with publishers. I... I'm always a fan of a good Kickstarter. I'm not huge on Kickstarter. I know my husband is huge on Kickstarter. Every time a new game comes through that he backed like years ago, he's so excited and we get like a bunch of the merch and it's like super awesome. Obviously I have nothing against Kickstarter. Like I, we're, we're, we're making a little, poking a little bit of fun at this, but Kickstarter obviously I think genuinely did when it came out revolutionize self-publishing for a lot of different mediums. I mean, I don't think that we would have half the amazing board games that we have oh, today God, yeah, absolutely. without Kickstarter a lot of really great albums and bringing it back a lot of books have <laughs> been funded on kickstarter oh, yeah. and i feel like this is why i really wanted to talk to you today about book marketing because it is suddenly so in it's the a, fore it's a buzz and i mean he did a really good job with that marketing i don't know if you've watched the video but the pacing is really good every time he reveals another book you're like oh my god he did a really good job brandon sanderson he knows had, his market I like he, he did knows a really the good market. job he knows how to like space things out and, so, mm. and he probably had somebody help him oh sure that, i'm sure. sure obviously this is not how normal book marketing works outside of self-publishing so most self-publishing i would say since we're talking about it with Brandon Sanderson, this is technically being self-published. He is publishing it through with his own money. Well, not with his money. You're paying for, paying it. for it with your Kickstarter money. But he is he's publishing it outside of an industrial traditional publisher. Mm -hmm. He's probably going to be using Ingram printing and he's going to probably be shipping them as cheaply as he possibly can. But that infrastructure is going to be from him. And normally when we see self-publishing, this is not quite what we're dealing with. I'm not against, by the way, loot boxes for books. I wish that we had more of that. Yes. That, I feel absolutely. like the video game market has a corner on like the cool collectibles that Which come with really your special release. Like, like, I would love like a cool the, variant cover. I mean, that'd be so good. Like a cool leather bound variant of a book that I'm super excited to read. Sign me up. Yeah. Why don't we have more of that? And apparently that was part of his point in his video saying that he had tried to pitch this idea to one of his publishers and they were like, I don't think that's going to work. He's just like, you're wrong. <laughs> and I'll show you. Yeah. And I, obviously he was correct that it, it is in fact. Oh, no, it was wildly successful. So I do have to say, I think that is something that we may and I'm really excited to mm -hmm. see more of in the future, which is like more cool collectible punk. We'll get reprints of Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I'm trying to think of what else we get a lot. Uh, Sherlock Holmes books. We get a lot of those. Yeah, a lot of the classics. classics. Yeah. yeah, like um, things in the public domain where it's, it's cheaper for them yeah. to, to make them like, be able a cool to do this. Thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all coming together maybe in one place that's a little different, but mm -hmm. not much. Yeah. And I mean, like, you've there's been, like, rings and bookmarks and stuff. Like, when we were kids, we were talking about Walden books and Barnes and Noble's books and having the kids sections. And they had, like, stuff that was attached. Like, they'd have, like, fake jewelry or little bracelets or bookmarks that had little dangly shiny things. I mean, it wasn't a huge amount of options here. But, like, you know, now that you've got a better, like, more direct resource to kind of talk to your consumers and say hey what do you want you've got a wider option to to deliver and that's awesome i do think that it is very emblematic of where publishing is at at the moment and i am very excited to see where it goes from here because obviously this is getting tons and tons and tons of attention a lot of the discourse though immediately afterwards was like hey there are other self-publishers on kickstarter maybe while you're throwing money around on kickstarter you can give them a yeah, or, or one give that them aren't a already well. wildly successful I do want to kind of go from here and talk about 
the self-publishing marketing market. No, self-publishing. I want to talk about self-publishing marketing for a minute. Um, And we just talked about this off mic, but as readers, we are obviously very familiar with book marketing because Mm -hmm. we are being targeted by it. So what is your experience with self-publishing book marketing you got book signings readings at different bookstores coffee shops newsletters just to circle back because as i was reading or researching this topic from maybe a slightly different angle but a lot of the discussion for marketing your books seemed so much more useful for your second book or your third book when you've already started to build an audience and i think that a lot of the things that sanderson did again very helpful for somebody that already had a mild even a mildly invested audience that would come take a look he was he was hand Picked <laughs> by Robert Who Jordan. Who was he handpicked by? What? By Robert Jordan. I'm oh, sorry, okay. I keep belaboring this, but it always <laughs> is like, no, the it's fact fair. that every single article used the same it. word. The same word, handpicked by Robert Jordan. They got like, paid per word to write What are you? <laughs> handpicked? <laughs> Sanderson was, gave them five bucks each. Like, the man died and, like, said Brandon Sanderson with his last breath or whatever. <laughs> like, we could say that. No, he was handpicked by Robert Jordan. Like, okay. God. He finished the series. Stop he did saying it. he was handpicked. We're done. Like, we got I, it. I can't tell you. Like, I obviously had to read, like, a million articles on this so that I could intelligently speak about about this and then it's now just yeah. burned into my brain in every single conceivable <laughs> font he was handpicked <laughs> by robert jordan <laughs> like okay god i got it i got it sorry yes so he was handpicked by robert jordan mm-hmm. to finish the wheel of time and he had that audience yeah. already and yeah. then he also had an audience for his Mistborn series and his other series he's worked on other series mm-hmm. as well well that's what, and then, so basically it was a snowball effect uh, yeah that he was able to gain the support of which is fantastic yes um, of course i mean obviously he, he's a very good writer i don't want to co- i don't want people to come away from this thinking i hate brandon sanderson i do like brandon sanderson's his writing books, and his world building is very good and so it's unique good. like he's mm-hmm. and it's not it's like for fantasy like you frequently see a lot of the same tropes or as far as world building goes people rely a lot on the same things but he didn't do that it's, the reason his Mistborn series is so popular is just because it's so unique and i think that's even more impressive because of his work on the wheel of time which is the origin of many of those tropes. Mm -hmm. And instead of kind of leaning on that, where he absolutely would have had so much, yeah, so much reason to, he didn't. He was like, I'm going to make something new, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. So there's one thing that I thought was really interesting, and it's um, outside of the videos like Sanderson made, little trailers for your book, which I thought were really interesting and more unique to more modern technology and, you know, options available, was through like Goodreads and the book list, etc., was we'll find other books that are like yours and put together lists and include your book. That's probably my favorite suggestion for self-marketing tactics for your book because you're self-publishing and you don't have a lot of options. And how do you get people to see that you have this thing? And I mean, you can't rely on Amazon recommends. Like I get trapped in that hole and I can find some really cool books on page 13, but that's page 13. A lot of people give up by three. So not everybody's like me that just opens up 20 million million tabs and then goes through all of them and reads every summary and reads all the reviews you read all the reviews i read a smattering of reviews it takes a lot for every book it takes a long time if if i like the summary even a little bit i'll go read the reviews wow that's why it takes me so long yeah it seems like it takes you a while i told you i was like it's gonna be like a a long weekend remember the last time i got trapped yeah that was why oh yeah you sent us like a screenshot of all of your amazon tabs open yeah i remember that and you were like Haley, this is fine just close them all and i was like no you don't understand (laughs) 
I have to read. I haven't vetted them yet. All of them. <laughs> I have handpicked these tabs. <laughs> I've handpicked them from Amazon. These are handpicked Amazon tabs. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's difficult. Like, what are you going to do? How do you engage and, and establish yourself with your audience while still being like a person that has a private life? And Yeah, I mean, this is something that so I've, I've worked tangential kind of on the side of marketing in editorial before. And one of the main things that you learn very quickly is that your number one goal with marketing is just awareness. Mm -hmm. Your ads are not going to convince someone to buy. They're there to introduce you. They're not independently deciding to buy that object from seeing your ad. They've already decided to buy the object. They're buying it from you. And so when we're talking about book marketing, the vast majority of the time, it's just like, hey, I have a book coming out. This book is new. This book is good. You should read it. Yeah. It is very... You like books about thing. Right. I have book about thing. Exactly. And especially, you know, we as readers are a little bit of a unique breed because we read so much. I think like the average hardcore reader reads something like two or three hundred books a year. Whereas like the average normal human person <laughs> reads, like, reads like nine or yeah. something. So... We are very, very susceptible to that, like, hey, you liked this book or this series or this vibe or this trope or this idea or this plot. Here is something else that's like that. And it's just raising that awareness. There's this, like, a, I don't know if it's a real story, but it's, like, something that gets thrown around marketing circles all the time about this Instagram influencer who had something like 5 million followers and wasn't even able to sell a t-shirt because even though she had that huge audience she didn't actually tell people that she had t-shirts for sale so it's one of those things where you can have this huge social media following this this, this came up um relatively recently with Billie eilish she published a book and it did relatively well by like book publishing standards but she didn't sell millions of copies she didn't she didn't, market it. she didn't she didn't market it even though she had well i don't know how, like how much of her marketing efforts there were but essentially the publisher was like oh this is a sure thing her audience will love it but then they didn't market to that audience correctly there wasn't as much awareness i didn't even know she had a book out I until i either. saw that and i'm a big Billie eilish fan I'm i a love Billie eilish that. yeah but that's also emblematic of another piece of current book marketing is that they expect authors to do oh, much so, of that awareness so work. So much. Like, that's absurd, the amount of work. And there's it like, is especially a lot. for people that are doing other things. Billie Eilish, for example. Like, no, bro, she she's working with you. Like, she's got her own shit to do. Yeah, like, exactly. And we talked about ways to raise awareness, like book signings. But if we're being honest, a book signing isn't that's very really limited yeah very limited that's why you'll always see like on talk shows there's almost always an author of a new book and like oh my new book is coming out read it now because they they just need you to know that the book exists and then when when you go decide to spend money maybe you'll think about you'll buy that, that one mm -hmm. yeah when you walk into a bookstore you're going to buy a book basically mm -hmm. is their thought so just them competing for your name yeah, in your head in your brain yeah. exactly so brandon sanderson is essentially selling brandon sanderson mm -hmm. books here he's not really selling those books they don't as far as i know have totally finished everything like mm -hmm. they're not totally done yet but people are like i will buy will buy these right. things people are aware of brandon sanderson because of that quite genius marketing video mm -hmm. And then the built-in fans kind of taking that and kind of spreading it far and wide and saying this is the most incredible thing ever and <laughs> this is going to change publishing forever, which, again, you know, I love you guys, fanboys, but 
It's not. It's not okay, guys. And I just and I don't mean this like like rudely or anything. I'm being but so people mean. Have, no, but I mean like consider like uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Like, yeah, we, I feel like we bring up Conan Doyle every episode for some reason. Like, he's just so applicable to everything. He, he did so well, many things. He did. He's such like a very prolific author, but yeah. also like the creator. Then the creator that hated creation was monstrous to them, and then and a copyright like, troll, etc. Yeah, his his industry, like his family and the legacy, etc. Yeah. Yeah, um, he self-published. He did, yeah. Like, but people knew about Sherlock Holmes, and that's something that you'll see a lot. Like he in... found he had it like there was a magazine. He put his short stories out there. He built the audience, and then he self-published. Yeah, and then it got too popular. He hated that character, wanted to do other things, and couldn't escape. I think maybe Sanderson's going to be trapped there as well. <laughs> I don't know. I feel he like Sanderson doesn't, doesn't mind killing people. <laughs> uh, well, he also does. He does a variety of books, and like he does, he's, he's popular yeah. in enough different areas that he can lean on those if need be. Yeah, and I do appreciate Sanderson. Another thing that he has done, and I think that this is really one major reason that he has so many fans is he is so generous with his time, and he is so generous with his. He connects on media his, presence with his content. He like, really does. Really like he helpful. is famously on Reddit and just answers questions whenever mm. anyone like finds him. He's famously like has a masterclass out there that is free. Like it's not even branded masterclass. It's just he put his writing class up on YouTube, and that's awesome. He has like something like five or six podcasts talking about like various parts of the craft of writing, the craft of being a fantasy author, the craft of story building, and honestly, I. I appreciate this version of author yes. who is willing to engage with fans and doing it well. And I think, I think we that... talked about this a little bit. There's this is the the approach to engage with your audience and your content Absolutely. Is, is through your content yes. and not building a brand persona. Yeah, and that's really the cornerstone of modern book marketing, which is human writer mm-hmm. <laughs> connecting with human audience and Another thing that we've been talking about kind of skirting around, but one of the main ways that you can get someone to buy your next book is to have them already like your other books. Mm-hmm. So you'll if you go on Kindle Unlimited, we talk about this all the time, I mean, that's there's why I love- so many series, you will see the vast majority of them are series. One of the best, like obviously, high, we've talked about this before too, the highest grossing book genre in America is historical romance, mm-hmm. and that is nothing but series. Oh, yeah. Like we, <laughs> we were talking about Bridgerton off mic, and that's a series of I think seven books. <sighs> so, <laughs> and the TV show is on season two. So, like, we're, there's room to grow. And when we're talking about going on to social media, like Goodreads, not just the Goodreads list, but like the Goodreads banner ads, seeing other people in your network reading a book. I've talked about this before on the podcast as well. Uh, the only time I have ever in America seen a billboard for a book was for I think it was the seventh Harry Potter book like we really don't get a lot of wide advertising for books in America whereas you know this you've traveled to England before there's nerds over. over there oh they're all over they're just book there are posters on subways for books you don't see that nope. in America I'm trying to think um no because like like even like really iconic covers like the Twilight cover the the, the very simple cover with the the hands on the black background with the apple right yeah Yeah. um and i i I, somebody that i looked at that book so many times i was like oh no this is the romance vampire novel i didn't want to read that but the cover just kept catching my eye there were no like none and that would have been such a great it would have been incredible cover to have everywhere like it would have been again it's just a very eye-catching one of the weird things in my opinion 
that is like a gap in book marketing is posters because I feel like people get movie posters. Girl, we constantly. should get that as part of our loot album, bags for books. Album posters. I want my yes. posters. Especially for comic books. Like some of those covers would be so good. Gorgeous. I was just thinking about this the other so day. Dynamic. I recently... They'd be so good, like blown up. Um, someone stole all my monstrous comic books. Rude and you. I How can't can imagine. What a terrible person. What do? But like, I was just thinking about some of those covers. They're gorgeous. The, the That's what drew me to that series in the first place. So beautiful. Like, I would hang up a monstrous poster yes. in a heartbeat. Even if it had like all the like paraphernalia on it, like the title and the mm-hmm. author and all that stuff. 100% we yeah. should be having posters. If we ever do like Ink Sync March, Girl. we're going to find like some really cool artist and put and make like get them to do like a classic local option we should hey um so we're by the way about to hit 50 something like we're about to hit like a 50 listener something milestone we actually have more than 50 listeners but i don't understand how anchor fm handles it's like listener stats but (laughs) we're we're not at 50 something listeners we have like a hundred something listeners i don't understand anyway um we will be allowed to advertise on our podcast at that point. If you are a minority or a woman creator and you want to advertise with us, reach out. Let us Please. know. We have a built-in break and we are more than happy to just be like, yo, buy this person's you show. Go. And if you are someone who makes artistic posters of book covers, reach or out. Or you are interested in becoming someone. We will buy them. <laughs> Even if it's just for us. We will have... You know what we should do for, like, an ink sink thing is we should do drunk literature readings at a bar. Oh, hell yeah. And sell cool posters of that Limited runs. Yes. Yes. Girl. That's such a good We are so brilliant when we're drunk. Make make notes. Make notes right now. (laughs) You'll forget this later. No, I mean, it's being recorded. Oh, good. That's such a good point. I forgot. I'm making notes notes on the SD card via the microphones that we are speaking. (laughs) Right in front of my face. Last place I look. That's right. Anyway, we're totally off the rails. Um, (laughs) Book marketing. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about like online book marketing in the age of social media is very much centered around the authors. But traditional book marketing is very much like any traditional marketing. They send people out, just get awareness. You'll open up a magazine, like a nerdy focused magazine. Targeted ads have been an incredible boon to marketing. If you aren't getting ads for books, then it's probably because you aren't reading a ton of books. But yeah, so... How are you, how do you feel about traditional book publisher marketing? You were talking about how, like, the, the views of it have changed over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm very glad that there are many, many alternatives, because when there aren't, and as we've already demonstrated, it's stagnant. There is no drive for growth. I think that it puts the onus on the author without giving them a lot of tools directly. It forces them to become a lot of things, wear a lot of hats. So having alternatives that make it a lot easier for an author to, like Kickstarter, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. um, YouTube, making little book trailers, blogging platforms to just just be like hey some interesting facts about my book here's a little snippet here's a snippet from a short story that's not in this book but it's in this world or something like that anything that makes it easier to take that onus on because they're not going to change is is all to the good and ultimately if you can take back creative control without having to go under them like good for you find the way like again i have no 
I have no gripes with Sanderson doing the going the Kickstarter route. Like again, he might be actually taking a hit overall on the initial costs before it gets into the stores, but he has so much more creative control and I imagine it's a much more comfortable feeling for him in getting his content together and out there. I think so. he's he's very lucky and it's super awesome that he is able to drive this that. option forward. And I hope that it, it becomes a better option for more like it, it helps promote indie books on Kickstarter because again, it's a great option and I think it is good. It's it's a good marketing for the marketing tactics yeah. for self-publishers. This is very inside baseball, but the the public the literal like printing of these books is usually actually still happening no matter where you're no matter what company you're using to publish your book. It's usually still happening at the same printer and bookstores make their orders from those printers and those warehouses so i feel like there is a big gap between what these printers are producing and what the bookstores are buying i think there's a ton of room in there for those two entities to be working more together and i think that that's what we're going to see is those entities working directly together with at least this brandon sanderson's book because these bookstores are gonna want to carry this book oh yeah absolutely so we were a little bit mean at the beginning saying this is definitely not going to change publishing. But I think that there are some very small portions of publishing that do need to be changed that I think that this is at least shedding a light on. Yeah, I was going to say, it absolutely is. Really is. Good. And I hope that continued efforts in this area like help drive that change forward. So we don't actually talk a, a ton about book marketing on this show. And that's for a good reason. Like we just, we don't really feel like that's for, that's what we do here. Like we could, a lot of book podcasts out there are basically just marketing. It's just, we have an author on our show today and they're here talking about their book. And that's fine. That's awesome. We don't really have any issues with that, but that wasn't really the podcast that we wanted to make. The only time that we really talk about marketing is in our women and minorities section during news because that is the marketing that we feel strongly about amplifying yes. because we feel very strongly about making sure that women and minorities in the world are receiving the support that they need, which they usually aren't. Yes. <laughs> I think that that's something that we really can't gloss over because it is something that we are also participating mm -hmm. in. But again, we, I hope, are doing it as thoughtfully as we can and with eyes wide open saying... Yeah, just be considerate. Like, are you buying something because you're genuinely interested in the content or are you buying something because somebody told you to? Exactly. And in that vein, kind of like we're poking fun at Brandon Sanderson, but Brandon Sanderson does not need us to advertise for his book. God uh, knows. He's, again, one of the best-selling authors of all time. He's, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs> Crimes. He'll mop up his tears with his massive amounts of money. Yeah, he'll be okay. But one of the, one of the huge portions of book marketing that doesn't really get talked about, but that we try to make an effort to talk about is the women and yes. minorities who are struggling to get noticed because they maybe aren't Brandon Sanderson mm -hmm. or they maybe haven't published a book before because they've never had the opportunity but they are mm -hmm. still going on Kickstarter and doing their best and maybe that is going to be the best book ever written we don't that know because they haven't they, don't have they the haven't options. had that opportunity so we mm -hmm. do our best to make sure that we so you will hear marketing from us in that section and we will continue to highlight as much marketing as we can from women and minorities in that section and by the way if you are a woman or an underrepresented in publishing person and you have a book coming out, let us know. Please. We want to talk about it. We love talking about this. 
I know we talked about this again a little bit off mic about the strange book marketing tactics that we found. I do you didn't know about the New York Times bestseller list and how curated it was before I sent that to you? I didn't you? know that I knew about the bestseller list, obviously, but I didn't know that it was curated in the fashion that it is curated in. Like that was absurd. It's insane. So I found this, uh, and in fairness, this was a uh, journal article from the early 2000s. So things might have changed, but my guess is not that much. So here's how the New York Times bestseller list becomes. Um, Booksellers around the country receive a email, a form that says how many of these specific 10 books have you sold? And then from those specific 10 books, the New York Times ranks like one through 10 for based on how many. So they're not actually polling the bookstores to see how many books of each book they are selling from the stores. They're polling the bookstores on a predetermined list. It's so, it's scammy, you guys. It is so insane. And like, it's so clearly a book marketing tool. It's because the New York Times bestseller list is like so many books are on that list it's it's one of those things where like if you get published with a traditional publisher you're just gonna have your book on that list which to me says it is almost definitely something that you are buying your way onto and Mm -hmm. the new york times considers it a proprietary formula so they don't have to disclose it to anyone they even sued amazon for publishing their own bestseller list because they said it stepped on their toes it was insane. That was stupid. I, I, I sent I Kaylee that. this drama. I was like sending her, I was like paragraph after paragraph because it was getting <laughs> crazier was so with silly. every moment. I was like, and then they sued Amazon. It was crazy. What did you find? As far as like just weird, uh, and, and to be fair, I, I was kind of just like, oh, that's gross. And then I, <laughs> I don't like that. Um, that's how I feel about a lot of marketing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and I'm sorry. It, I know there's a lot, there's a large portion of the human race that works in marketing and I applaud you all for getting your messages out there but every now and then some marketers do take it a little too far well not just that but i think that especially right now especially like new companies that aren't being dragged down by traditional ideas or like we'll try anything and some of the things that they're trying are like tactics that have worked on social media and those tactics don't work in the long run to build sustainable models like again and this is something that we've also spoken about before not sure if it ended on the cutting room floor or not but like parasocial relationships where it's not necessarily the content that's being sold so much as the person behind the content and that's super problematic for a variety of reasons and ultimately it is unsustainable because nobody is perfect and at some point you know you grow and change as a person especially in an industry like this where it's very fast paced that was probably the most jump out standout thing that spoke to me was just be thoughtful I guess, as you're moving forward in business and and be thoughtful with what you're consuming because we get ads targeted every day. And so just try to actually think about why you're deciding to buy what you're deciding to buy. It's like you said before, Annie, if you're going into a bookstore, you've decided to buy a book. Okay, well then approach that just a little bit. Like, what have you chosen? And don't be disappointed. We don't, none of us are rich. I can't imagine. So you're probably choosing things a little carefully on what you are choosing to buy or what you're choosing to ask for as a present or whatever from your local bookstore. Go to your local bookstore. (laughs) Don't pick up I hate to say this, but I'm sorry, but like, don't maybe pick up the newest autobiography of some celebrity influencer or TikToker or the tell-all of somebody that was on 
the last season's biggest reality TV show, right? If that's what you want, great, but don't just buy it because somebody blasted you with it. That's the one thing that I don't love about today's culture and influencer media and how it's impacted so many different aspects of, of marketing specifically, just in research and stuff. It just kind of hurts a little bit. Thank you for listening to The Ink Sync. I am Annie. I'm Kaylee. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Bookshop. You can find all those links in our show notes. Thanks for listening. He's in the game because he backed out the top topest, topest, highest tier. <laughs> Toppiest top top tier. Tippiest. Tippiest of tops. <laughs> He's um, a very tall man, so it's actually very t- it's very tippy top. <laughs> <laughs>